A few weeks ago, I was reading a book that asked the question, why do people join very demanding religions like Mormonism or Orthodox Judaism when softer options like the Episcopal Church <laughs> are available? At first I laughed because it was funny. Uh, but as the day went on, I realized I was getting more and more annoyed by the mere premise of the question. The argument that the Episcopal Church and the Anglican tradition more broadly doesn't actually believe or require anything of its members is one I've heard more times than I can count, and it's a premise I simply don't think is true. Now, part of this perception comes from a quirk of history and how the Church of England responded to the Reformation. While most of Europe spent time and energy drafting up statements of belief and doctrine, the English Church instead produced a prayer book. Our beliefs are carried in our liturgies. The rites and rituals that we perform and celebrate together as a community. Now that communal aspect of our tradition is, I think, the hallmark of who we are, of where we come from, and who we aspire to be. This sense of community is, for me, built around two particular truths that are highlighted in two of our regular celebrations, Holy Baptism, and Holy Eucharist. In our baptismal covenant, we are reminded of a truth that can be found in the very first chapter of Genesis, that each of us is made in the divine image of God, that human life is very good, and that each of us is worthy of justice and peace and of dignity and respect. The second truth is that the Eucharist, this meal of thanksgiving that we gather together every Sunday to share, is a foretaste of the heavenly banquet that we will all enjoy in God's new creation, a kingdom of God, where all people will be treated according to the dignity of their divine creation. But even beyond that, we are called to live our lives as though God's new creation was already here among us. As Paul says in his second letter to the Corinthians, if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. Look, new things have come into being. Now, one interesting thing about this verse in the original Greek is that the words, there is, are not actually present. It's almost as if Paul is shouting out, if anyone is in Christ, new creation! He's just so excited about it. As an aside, my ethics professor at seminary was also excited about this fact, so incited, excited, in fact, that he couldn't help running around the room and shouting, new creation! New creation! at us. But all of this drives home the fact that Paul isn't envisioning this new creation at some unidentified time in the future. It is present for him here and now among everyone who finds their identity rooted in Christ.
and living into both these truths that God's new creation is already among us and that a central tenet of that new creation is the recognition of everyone's God-given dignity sounds like it should be easy. But as the news reminds us every day, it is anything but. The violence in the Holy Land, the ongoing debates that fuel our culture wars, already marginalized people being scapegoated for their God-given identities. All these things serve as unfortunate proofs that God's new creation may well be on its way, but it is not yet arrived. It's here, in situations like the, this, I think, that the Episcopal Church and Anglican tradition unfairly earns the reputation that it is a soft faith. Because while we espouse certain truths, we rarely, if ever, dictate exactly how we are meant to live into those truths. I think we can all agree that human life has dignity, but how we go about doing the work of making that a day-to-day -day reality is something that we need to discern, both individually and collectively, because we refuse to scapegoat. We refuse to reduce human life to mere data points. We refuse to accept the easy answer, the false binary of this or that. Now, Jesus knew a little something about refusing to be trapped by a false binary. In doing so, he shows us a pattern to follow in our own lives as we work to make God's new creation a reality. In today's Gospel from Matthew, Jesus is approached by the Pharisees and Herodians and asked whether or not it is lawful to pay the Roman taxes. This in itself is unusual. The Herodians were the governors of the northern region of Galilee and in league with the Roman government. They would have been in favor of the tax because it supported their own power and stability. The Pharisees, however, were concerned first and foremost with honoring God through strict adherence to the law. The tax and the empire that levied it would have both been seen as illegitimate to them. <laughs> that these two opposed factions have come together to ask Jesus this question suggests that they aren't interested in Jesus's actual response but enforcing him to make a statement that will land him in trouble no matter what, either as treason against Rome or as a bad Jew who refuses to uphold the law. Jesus, unsurprisingly, spots the trap for what it is and refuses to be caught by it. Instead of answering their question, Jesus asks one of his own and then gives the answer to an even better unasked question. Give to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. 
The meaning of this would have been immediately obvious to anyone who heard it and who professed the religion of Israel. There was nothing to give to Caesar because everything belongs to God. Rather than indulge a false binary whose only function is to ensnare and trap, Jesus shows us that the true answer to any question is the answer that helps us live into God's new creation, that helps us to usher in the kingdom of God, a kingdom that is oriented around the dignity and flourishing of every life. Life in all its fullness and in all its abundance. So in the face of false binaries, of seemingly difficult choices between this and that, this answer becomes our pattern as well. Everything good is God's. And whatever we might do that harms the goodness of God's creation, that prevents it from flourishing, separates us from God and from one another, and demands that we find a better way. Now, about this time, you may be thinking, well, that's all well and good, Robbie, but I need to do something in response to everything that's going on. Well, the good news, of course, is that even as we stumble along our path and through no doing of our own, Jesus Christ has already reconciled us to God. And God's Holy Spirit continues to work in and through us today and tomorrow and into the future, making use of our individual and collective gifts and talents and passions which we discern together in prayer. Prayer is both a first response and a last resort. It is where we start when we don't know how to begin. It may be that in response to grief, all we can do is grieve, is weep, if this is where you're at, then please know that you are not alone. I have no doubt that God weeps when confronted with violence and loss of life, just as Jesus wept at the death of his friend, Lazarus. And even in the midst of not knowing what to do, God's spirit helps us. Even when we don't know how or what to pray, the spirit intercedes on our behalf with sighs too deep four words. Your grief is holy. It may also be that you are compelled to start somewhere, to do something to help make God's new creation a reality. Archbishop Thomas Cranmer, author of the first two books of Common Prayer, called this urge a lively faith, one that is lived in response to the good news of our salvation. And it just so happens that following today's service, every single one of Christ's Church's outreach ministries will be set up in our auditorium. There is so much good work already happening here that honors human dignity. 
and lives into the truth of God's new creation. The folks who are already deeply involved in that work will be only too happy to talk with you about how you can get involved. It can be easy to be overwhelmed by the enormity of the work that needs to be done. It is also true that we may never see the final fruits of our labor. Even so, we can start working together to make God's new creation a world where the dignity of all human life is allowed to flourish a reality. Our tradition is no soft option. It demands that ourselves, our souls, and bodies be put to work for the sake of God's new creation. How we get there is up to us. But look around, my friends. We are not in this alone. Amen. Amen.